So if you want to turn to Romans first chapter, Romans first chapter. Today we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Romans in regard to missions. Because I've heard it said that, that perhaps this letter written to the Romans is the greatest missionary support letter ever written. Now, we want us just to read verse 5 as we begin. So Romans, first chapter, verse 5, and then we're going to be turning over in just a few moments to Romans 15. Romans 1, verse 5 from the New King James Version. Through Him, through the Lord, through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Fathers, we come to Your Word. God, just pour out Your Spirit upon us. Help us to learn more of You. And so, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. Perhaps most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Now this is the Apostle Paul. For through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. I believe at the very beginning Paul is saying this is who I am. This is what I've been called to, to be an apostle to all nations. And as we look at this letter in particular, in regard to missions today, I believe you'll see that he's saying, I'm writing you this letter, and I'm hoping that you're in agreement with me and that you will partner with me as I do these journeys. So now let's go into Romans 15. and We're going to read 22 through 32, and we're going to add some other scriptures in the midst of this as we go, and and we're going to pause from time to time and talk about this as we go through it. Romans 15, verses 22 through 32. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. I'm going to pause right there. Paul had a desire to go to be with the Romans and to talk with them personally. And he had been hindered. And we just sung the old hymn, Send the Light. We talked about the Macedonian call. And then that portion of Scripture we read uh, before that song from Acts 16, it talked about the different places that Paul had intended to go, but the Holy Spirit prevented him from going. And Paul knew that it was the Lord that was directing his path. And he gladly submitted. Now we don't know what the hindrances were. Uh, We know that he had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten. There is a multitude of things that had happened to Paul. We don't know in particular in regard to all these things. But let's look now at verse 23. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and and that's, that's meaning... My mission work here has completed. It's time to move on. And then he says, And having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Let me pause there. Does does that ring true of... So I hope Brother Ernest feels that way when he comes to visit here at this church with Bread for Life. Uh, he comes, I, I pray that, that we can enjoy company together, that we can enjoy fellowship, and him knowing that we're going to do all we can do to help. He says, I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. He'd already been there, and I was going to try to look up a, a 
one of Paul's missionary journey maps and put it up, and I, I, I forgot to do that. But Paul had been to Macedonia and Achaia and had spoken and ministered to them. And here's what came out of that. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Now remember, where's he going? He said that's where he's going next, to Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. What's happening in these two verses? There's a need for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. There are believers in Macedonia and Achaia that hear of this need and they are pleased to make a contribution to help them. And so they give this, it, it seems, they give this to Paul and he is taking this with him to Jerusalem. Now, what is this? What is this uh, contribution? Well, it, we don't know for sure, but it's probably a mixture of of maybe money, uh, perhaps clothing, perhaps food. You know, I, I don't know who all was, what all Paul had, uh, if he had camels or a lot of camels or what all he could take. But he is taking this contribution, and it pleased those to give it. And it also pleased those to receive it. And also notice that the call is not just to minister spiritual things. Did, did you catch that as we read that? Oh, we're called to share the gospel, but we are called to do more than that. What, what did it say? Their duty, their duty is also to minister to them in what? You say it. Material things. Remember the book of James. We went through James. I look back. It's probably been a couple of years ago now, but I'm, I'm sure you you remember this portion where James was talking about faith and works. Let, let's let's go to James the second chapter, verses fourteen through seventeen, for just a moment. James second chapter fourteen through seventeen, and we'll come be coming back to Romans fifteen here in a little bit. And this is James. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And the ESV here would would render this, can that faith save him? And perhaps some of you may remember as we have preached through this, perhaps an even better translation would be, can that kind of faith save him? In, in other words, a faith with no evidence of good works, can that save someone? And the answer would be, no. No, it cannot. That kind of faith is not a saving faith. It's, it's a dead faith. Saving faith will always be followed by the evidence of good works. Always. And just let me do this, because I know that there would be someone well-intentioned that knows enough of the Bible to be a little bit dangerous that likes to argue points and they'd say, well, wait a minute, what about the thief on the cross? What kind of good works did he do? Well, here, I will modify it to satisfy someone of that mindset that may listen to this sermon someday. Saving faith will always be followed by good works if... There is time for good works between their regeneration and their death. How about that? I almost feel, you know, to, to have to add things like that, but it takes any doubt out of it, I, I believe. Yes, there must be good works as long as they're not dying in the midst of getting saved. You, you understand that? I hope you do. Good works, and just know that always followed, saving faith will always be followed by the evidence of good works. But the opposite of that statement is not always true. And I know I've talked about that this through the years. Good works is not always an indication that someone has saving faith. 
That's everything we've been talking about so far in the book of Romans. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by grace through faith. Scotty mentioned this. Let's go ahead and read it in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, you say it, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For every born-again believer that has the Spirit of God in them, truly born again, you are created a new creation. Scotty talked about this morning. You're a new creation in Christ, and you have been created for good works. And so true saving faith will always be followed by what? Good works. Now, let me read that back in James one more time. Uh, James 2, verses 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And you see how that ties to what Paul said in ministering not just spiritual things, but also material when there is need. Now, let's, let's get back to Romans 15 chapter. Let's start in verse 28. Therefore, when I have performed this, and and Paul is talking about giving that gift to the needy in Jerusalem, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, that contribution, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So so you get where he's going here. From where he's at, uh, after Macedonia and Achaia and receiving that contribution, he's going to Jerusalem And after he leaves Jerusalem, he is going to Spain. But on his way to Spain, he's stopping in Rome. That's his plan. But I know, verse 29, But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg of you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Let me pause here again. What's Paul asking for? Prayer. Does our missionary friends throughout the world need us praying for them? Yes. They do. They need our prayers. Somebody said, someone say, well, why? Why they need your prayer? Verse 31. Here's what Paul says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He's saying, pray for me that I will be protected from the unbelievers, those who will not believe, and perhaps I can imagine perhaps those that are clinging on to faith by works who despise and hate the message of the Apostle Paul and wish just as soon to have him killed. Because to them, he is speaking blasphemy. And so pray for protection and pray that as he goes to Jerusalem, the gift will be gladly accepted and he could be there to minister in fellowship with the saints in Jerusalem. Now, In this letter, Paul is revealing to the Roman church the message for which he is laying down his life. A message which he intends to take to the unreached people, at least at this moment, in Spain. And his hope is that these Roman believers will be excited about what he's doing and will get behind his mission. 
and support him. That, that verse 24 in Romans 15, just by itself. Did I put it there? Maybe I didn't do it. Here, I'll just read it. Romans 15, 24. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. So what's Paul saying? I need your support. He's saying, I'm not a loner out here. Please partner with me and help me in my mission to Spain. I believe that's what he's saying. Now, I don't believe Paul expects everyone in Rome to join him on this journey. Not everyone is called to frontier missionary work. Paul is asking for partners in prayer and partners in varying helps for his journey. That's what he's hoping for and asking for. And we know this, that God will not lead all of us to give our life in crossing continents to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the earth. But He will call some. Perhaps some out of this little congregation here today. Some have gone and are planning to go back. Perhaps others, we have one that's over there even now. Madison, be praying for her. Be attentive to what the Lord is asking you to do. You know, three weeks ago, the team that went to Cameroon uh, gave their testimony of, of their trip. And, and after they had all given their testimony, I made the statement that every born-again believer should be either a goer or a sender. And when I had that thought in mind, uh, my intent was in regard to world mission. And I had to modify what I said uh, in that statement because I believe that every born-again Christian is called to be a missionary, whether it's to go across the street to minister or whether to go across a hallway to minister. But I believe we are all called to share the love of Christ and to help meet needs, whether spiritually or material. And we may not be called to go across uh, the, the, the globe to the other side of the world, but I believe we need to be prayerful about who the Lord would have each of us minister to. Can I get an amen on that? Is that true? So in a sense, we are all missionaries. And again, someone may ask the question, well, why go? Why send people? Why do either? Well, here, listen to the statement right here. Here's why. Every person faces God's righteous wrath. That's why. Every person on the face of this planet will someday meet God. That's why. John Piper said it this way, quote, The greatest peril facing every person and every ethnic group and every place on earth and at every time in history is the righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners leading to everlasting suffering unless God himself rescues us from his own judgment. That's a great statement, isn't it? That's, that's all of us. All of us. Righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners leading to everlasting suffering unless God Himself rescues us from His own judgment. Poverty, hunger, disease, war, crime, climate change, addictions, homelessness, ignorance, these may bring great global suffering, but they pale in comparison to the peril of being under the wrath of God. All these things are tragic, but they are all temporal. 
They may last their lifetime, but the wrath of God lasts forever. End quote. Because this we know. The wrath of God is eternal. Romans 2, verses 5 through 11. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. See, eternal life to those who in continuance of doing good. That's an indication of saving faith, is it not? Or it's an evidence. Verse 8, But to those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, here's what's in store for them, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, Because remember, God is no respecter of persons. Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. See, there's only two possible outcomes. Eternal life with Christ, or eternal wrath. Some may say, eternal wrath, are you sure? I, I think we just go down there and we burn up and it's all done. Well, here, Second Thessalonians 1, let's read it. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with what? Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you see what the greatest peril facing this world is? The coming wrath of God. Well, preacher, that's pretty heavy duty. Tell of the love of God. Well, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. The love of God is He sent a rescue so that you may not have to face this wrath. As we've previously seen in this series through Romans, the wrath of God is present, it has begun. In chapter 1, we read this in verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. We sang the song this morning, How Great Thou Art. Just the evidence of God's creation bears that there is a creator God. They have seen it. And yet they have chosen to exchange the truth of God for the lie. See, the current depravity of human hearts are even now under wrath and they are storing up wrath. We read from chapter 2 earlier, Verse 5, let's read it, chapter 2, verse 5. But in accordance with your, your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, the wrath of God is owing to our sin, which exchanges the glory of God for the glory of man. Exchanges the truth of God Or the lie. In Romans 1, verses 22 through 25. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
and it changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There is no more horrible thing to consider than to be given up by God. To just be turned over to our own lusts, to do as we please, to have our ears closed, to have our eyes blinded to spiritual things. When we hear the message of the cross, it is nothing but foolishness. The Bible is nothing but a fairy tale. See, those in that condition don't realize the wrath they are under. All under sin. Every person born on the face of this planet except Jesus Christ born under sin, there is none righteous. How often has Paul been saying this over and over again in these first three, four chapters of Romans? Romans 3 verses 9 and 10. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. They are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. All guilty before God. Verse 19 in that Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law that every mouth may be stopped. Every excuse, you might say, silenced. And all the world may become guilty before God. Drop on down to verse 23 in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the wages? What is the cost of sin? Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages, the cost of sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there you have the bad news, but then you get the good news. The bad news is wrath that is coming upon sin. The wages of sin is death. But the good news, there's a gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know this, and we know this, Every sin that has ever been committed will be brought before the justice and judgment of God. Every sin will be paid for. Everyone. Everybody listen. Either the sinner will pay for it in eternal torment in hell. And I say eternal because we read it, didn't we? We read it. Because, and, and their sin debt will never be paid. Never. Or, you see, it will either be paid for by the sinner in judgment in hell, or, or by grace through faith in truly believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, our debt will be marked paid in full by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, child of God, you see the glory in such a statement. To stand someday. And perhaps, I don't know how that's going to come to be. Am I still going to have memories of who I was on earth and the times I failed? Because I know me. But when I stand someday before God the Father, my sins covered. My debt marked paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't believe in it. God will send anybody to hell. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And this I do know, that the wrath of God is righteous and just. There will be nothing unjust about God the Father sending anyone to hell. 
Romans 3, 5, and 6. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Paul says, I speak as a man. And then he says with an explanation mark, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? Well, he will judge it rightly and justly and wholly. That's how. According to his word. And this we also know, the wrath of God is God's prerogative and not ours. We don't get a say in it. We sung that song this morning, You are God alone. It's him. It's him. And it's all him. And everything is at his good pleasure. And how he has planned from the beginning of before time. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, do not offend yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I want to go back and repeat that statement that was made earlier. The greatest peril facing every person in the world, without exception, is the righteous wrath of God. And this morning, in a lot of things that are going on here in the last couple years, I'm going to add to Piper's list. The greatest peril that we face is not a pandemic. The greatest peril we face is not inflation. It's not the rising cost of gas and goods. It's not the shortage of supplies. It's not the possibility of the Russians closing in on on our capital city. That's not the greatest peril facing the world. The greatest peril facing every person in the world is the righteous wrath of God. But there's good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a rescue from wrath. And it's through the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross. Jesus bore God's wrath and brought eternal salvation for everyone who believes and receives Jesus Christ as Lord. In His great mercy, God Himself stepped into history in the person of His Son so that He could bear the punishment for sin for us and bring us to Himself. How can we fathom that? Romans 8.32 He, God, did not spare His own Son but delivered Him, delivered His Son, delivered Jesus up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God didn't spare His own Son, but He delivered Him up. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still... What? Sinners, enemies of God. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what happened when the Son of God died? Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin and condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. See, this is the unspeakable love of God. This is substituting Himself for us and bearing our condemnation. 
This is Jesus, our great high priest, as I talk about often, perhaps in particular on Communion Sundays, Jesus, the great high priest, going through the veil, going to the, 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 the altar that was there, going to the mercy seat, and instead of taking the blood of a lamb and pouring upon it, the mercy seat, our great high priest gave himself upon the mercy seat, shed his own blood upon the mercy seat. That's love. He gave Himself for us. He condemned sin in the flesh. Our sin, His flesh. And when He did, not only was sin punished justly, sin dealt with justly, but wrath was justly satisfied for all who believe. We didn't sing it this morning, but that lyric I love in that song in Christ Alone, where it says, And and the wrath of God was satisfied when He gave Himself upon the cross. See, that's a glorious thought. No longer under wrath. In Romans 3, verse 24 and 25. Now, you see, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a payment, a pardon, a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. Why? That he might be just. He handled this all perfectly so that no one could say that God is unjust in his wrath. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In the work of Christ, Everything is accomplished for sinners to be justified and God's wrath to be satisfied. Amen? Everything accomplished. Romans 5, verse 8. Verse 9, I'm sorry. Romans 5, verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. See, there's the good news. You concerned about the wrath of God? Fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus. No wrath, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's stay in the book of Romans. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I've got another John Piper quote. John Piper, quote, The work is done by the love of God through the Son of God, and the final effect of this great salvation is the glory of God magnified in the everlasting joy of His people. That's, that sounds like John, doesn't it? Talk about everlasting joy. And then he puts Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2, okay. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. John goes on to say, God saved, saves us by grace through faith. In His overflowing mercy, God has decreed that this great rescue from His wrath and into His joy... <laughs> That's a great way to put it, isn't it? We have been transformed, transferred from death into life, from darkness into His marvelous light. As John says it here, here it is. God saves us by grace through faith and His overflowing mercy. God has decreed that this great rescue from His wrath and into His joy 
will not be earned by good deeds. Instead, anyone, anywhere, will be saved from the wrath of God and adopted into God's family by hearing the news and believing in Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Supreme Lord and treasure above all things. End quote. John can put things so well, I don't want to try to butcher it up and try to paraphrase what he said, because I think that was so good. In Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that we read so often, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And we know what we'll be saved from now, right? We've talked about it this morning. You're going to be saved from wrath. Saved from wrath, that's why. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whoever calls... Everyone on the face of the planet who calls. From every tribe and every nation who calls. See, I believe there's the call for world missions. How will every tribe and nation be reached? Well, we just read... Romans 10, 9 through 13, that I read so often. Let's pick up in verse 14. Let's read verse 14 and 15. How will they be reached? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How will they hear? Someone's going to take the message. That's how. Romans 10, verse 17, just two verses down. So, then faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing by the word of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I believe as the Holy Spirit brings out the truth of God's word. It's God's word and the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit and the word of God in combination. Bringing truth. How will every tribe and nation be reached? By someone going with the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe and nation. World missions. And and I pray that the message of Paul to the Romans grips us to such a degree that it will make us want to be unwavering senders and unstoppable goers. Whether our going is across the street or across the globe. May we be faithful to God's calling in our lives. Because I can't tell you what you should do or where you should go. Well, I can. Anybody can tell anybody anything. That's not what I'm saying. I shouldn't necessarily. Now, and I, I here I'm saying things that people can twist and turn around. Give good counsel. I'll give good counsel. But it's the Holy Spirit that has to speak and give direction. We have been saved by grace through faith. We are His workmanship created for what good works that God Himself has laid out before you and me. I can't tell you what your good works are. I can tell you from the Word of God what a lot of the good works are from the Word of God and things that we should all be doing, but specifically It needs to be the Holy Spirit telling you what you should be doing, where you should be going, and who you should be ministering to. Is that that a faithful saying? 
I think so. As we come down then to the end of Romans, we're going to look in verse 16, just, just a few more verses. Verse 16, verses 3 and 4. Paul sends a special greeting to Priscilla and Aquila. Why? Why? Why separate them out? Well, here, let's read. Paul says to those, the church at Rome, the saints at Rome, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. So even just reading that part, what, what, what's that say to you? I believe it's saying that they have been a help. I don't know how they've been a help. In some way, helping meet Paul's needs as he's out there, they've been a help. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, and look at this, who risked their own necks for my life. That's a true friend, isn't it? Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also to all the churches of the Gentiles. Will we, will I, be willing to risk my neck, my own life, for the cause of Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question. May, all, may we all be fellow workers in Christ Jesus that His gospel message will be taken to every tribe and nation on the earth. That's in essence the Great Commission, isn't it? That, that Jesus gave to the disciples. That's Rome, um, not Romans, it's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And then in Acts 1 we have the last words of the resurrected Christ before He ascended back to the Father. Luke records this. It's Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. You get that? In that picture, ask yourself, because you could break it down this way if you wanted to, Pilot Knob, Arcadia Valley, Iron County, Missouri, United States. You, you see what I'm saying? Pray and ask the Lord, what, Lord, help me know what my part is. Because I believe we all have a part to be fellow workers in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I just pray that just by Your Spirit that You will help that the portions of this message that are intended for particular people will rest upon their heart and mind in the days to come. Your Word will not go void. I know that. And there was a lot of Scripture today and so I pray that, that through the truth of Your Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, that perhaps, Lord, perhaps You might perform a miracle of mercy in the gift of faith to someone, perhaps even here today, or who may listen to the sermon in a future time. Father, I pray that if there should be one who is lost, that is yet under 
your wrath and they are storing up wrath and they don't even realize it. Again, Lord, by the truth of your word, perhaps a word they have heard, but it fell on deaf ears at the time. But Lord, it's still there in their mind that you would make it real to them. Let your truth become real. Lord, open their eyes to see their sin. Lord, help them help them to see you, holy, righteous God. And in light of seeing you, they see their sin. They see their condition. They see that and know that they are under your wrath. And then, Father, have mercy. Show them the rescue in Jesus Christ. Help them to see their sin. Help them to see their rescue in the blood of Christ. And Lord, grant them faith that they may believe, that they might confess their sins, that they might turn from their sin, that they may follow Christ the remainder of their days and then live forevermore in heaven with you. And Father, for those of us who are born again, who know that we have been rescued, that that knows that there is now no condemnation, Lord, help us to live as we should. Help me, Lord, to live as I should, to live a holy and just life. Lord, help us to see the opportunities that You would place before us, those good works that You have already laid out there for us. Help us to see it, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's out and about, whether it's in our own family, wherever it may be. Lord, help us to see those that You want us to share in some way Your great love. So Father, help me and help us all to be obedient servants for you for we are not our own we have been bought at a great price so let us serve you and honor the sacrifice of jesus christ with our own lives help us father i pray in christ's name amen amen